بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين له النعمة وله الفضل وله الثناء الحسن صلوات الله البر الرحيم والملائكة المقربين على سيدنا محمد أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى جميع إخوانه من النبيين والمرسلين وآل كل وصحب كل ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا رب العالمين All praise is due to Allah and may Allah raise the rank of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and protect his nation from that which he fears for them. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to increase our knowledge and benefit us with the knowledge we have acquired. Ameen. We are still talking about some of the important dealings pertaining to selling, buying, and establishing a transaction. And we also spoke about the rules of the usurious gain, riba, what makes the dealing as part of the forbidden riba. And we gave many examples in the previous lesson. Today we'll continue, insha'Allah, some of the important information as well. We start with something that many people are unaware of. It actually pertains to inheritance. The scholars of Islam said, it is invalid for the inheritors to divide the inheritance of a deceased person or to sell it until one's own debts, including unpaid zakah, if it was due on one, and the will that he made before fulfilling the will that he made in his life, before the will has been fulfilled. So before dividing the inheritance, you might say, why are we talking about inheritance in this chapter? There is part of the dealing here that pertains to selling. That's why our Shaykh Rahimahullah included this case here. And he mentioned that it is invalid for the inheritors to divide the inheritance of a deceased person before they fulfill certain tasks. So they cannot sell any of it before establishing these matters. Number one, to pay his debts in full. So if a person dies and he leaves behind 
an inheritance, the inheritors, before they can divide the inheritance amongst them, they need to take from the inheritance what would cover his debts, number one. And the debts here are the debts for the slaves and the debts for Allah Azza wa Jal. And the debts for Allah here we are talking about zakah. If he did not pay zakah for a few years, they will estimate, will calculate how much he would be like obligated in his life to pay as zakah. And they will take that and pay it as zakah as well. So these are the debts for Allah Azza wa Jal. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Daynullah ahaqqu bil wafa. The debts of Allah Azza wa Jal. It means, in such cases, if one, let us say, is obligated to pay zakah, at the same time he has an amount of money, he may either pay the obligated zakah, or he may donate to someone, give him something as donation, or build a mosque. But the money wouldn't be enough to pay zakah and to build a mosque, which comes first here, to pay the zakah first. So he will pay his debts for people, and the debts he owes to Allah Azza wa Jal, and that pertains to zakah, the will, if he had written a will or made a will during his life that after my death I want this amount of money to be paid, let us say for charity or to be given to that person, then also the will should be fulfilled. That's another thing. And also the compensation paid to a hired person to perform Hajj and Umrah on behalf of the deceased must be taken out of the inheritance first. And that's basically when he was obligated during his lifetime to perform Hajj and Umrah and he didn't. Like some people may keep deferring. He might say, I'll perform Hajj and Umrah next year, insha'Allah. Then the following year, he would defer it to another year. And so on. He keeps on deferring until he dies. And he has money. He has inheritance. Like an amount of money that is enough to assign someone to go and perform Hajj and Umrah on his behalf should be taken out of his inheritance and be given to someone who would perform Hajj and Umrah on his behalf. So all these things should be observed, as we mentioned, before they start dividing the inheritance. So his debts are paid, including the amount due for not paying zakah for a period of time. That will be taken out of the inheritance. The will is fulfilled and the money that is enough to give to someone to perform Hajj and Umrah on his behalf if he 
was obligated during his lifetime and he did not perform them. After that, they may divide the inheritance. However, they might sell some of his properties to pay off the debt or to fulfill the will. They might do that. So let us say he did not leave any cash money. All what he left as inheritance, few properties. And he owed others an amount of money. So they might sell a property to pay off the debts and to fulfill these tasks. Then they can divide the rest amongst the inheritors. This is how they do it. Also amongst the important cases that one should take into consideration when selling and buying is that after establishing the price between the seller and the buyer, it is unlawful haram, it is unlawful haram for one to weaken the desire of the buyer or the seller. How does this happen? Sometimes, let us say, someone is in the marketplace and he's offering something for a sale. Who would buy this? Who would buy this? And someone approached him. How much you want for it? And he said, let us say 200. He said, no, I give you 100. And he said, 150. Then in the end, he said, okay, 150. I'll sell it to you for 150. They agreed on the price. They established the price. Okay, I'll give it to you for 150. So they reached that settlement between them for the price. Then someone might be interested in it. He might come to the seller and say to him, don't sell it to him for 150, I'll give you 200. So after they established the price and they settled between each other regarding this product they are selling, he came and he weakened the desire of the seller so he can buy it instead of that person. That is haram. That is haram. The Prophet said, وَلَا يَبِعْ بَعْضُكُمْ عَلَى بَيْعِ Another case is to weaken the desire of the buyer. In the case we mentioned, after they made that settlement for the price and they established the sale between them and they agreed on the price, everything was settled. His neighbor, let us say, is selling similar product or same product, or something else, he might come to the buyer and say, don't buy of him, come to me. I'll sell it to you, the same thing, for less money. Or he might say, I can give you something better quality for the same price. So he weakened the desire of the buyer in this case, so he can sell his item to that person. That is haram as well. Now, if one weakens the desire of the seller or the buyer, but not to buy this item instead of that buyer or to sell his item to that buyer instead, just to weaken the desire of either the buyer or the seller, but not for that purpose, then it is not forbidden.
Like for instance, someone, let us say, wants to sell his car. He is in need of some money. Then someone came to him and said, I'll give you 10,000 for it. Let us say it was 30, for instance. He said, I'll give you 10,000. Then he said, no, I want 30 for it. He said, no, that's what I give you. He said, what about 20? He said, no, 10. So they argued about the price and then he said, all what I pay you is 10,000 for this car. He said, okay, I'll sell it to you for this price. So they settled. Then his friend, his friend that was next to him said to him, don't sell it. Keep it, wait a few days, you might get a better price. So here he's weakening his desire, but not to buy it instead of that person. That's not haram. Sometimes you might be shopping. That's why you need to learn about these cases. You might be shopping with your friends, let us say, and you go to a place and you want to buy something from the shopkeeper, let us say. How much is it? He might give you a price, then you negotiate, then you reach a stage where you agree on the price. The price is settled between both of you. Then your friend might say to you, don't buy it. You can find a better one. Maybe you can go to the market. It's cheaper. And so on. So here, she's weakening the desire of this buyer not to sell her her own product for less price and the like. So it's not forbidden in that case. So just remember this matter. Another thing that needs to be clarified as well is the auction. The auction is different from this case. Auction is fine as long as no fake bidders are involved. When there is normal auction, someone wants to sell his car and he called people, I want to sell my car, how much would you pay for it? Someone said 10, 15, 20, 25 and so on. Then the higher bidder will win it, will make the deal with him. That's fine. But we'll talk about the fake bidder, that's haram. Like the owner will make a deal with someone and will plant him amongst the people and will say to him, put the price higher. So people can be deceived, can be fooled. They might think uh, this is something very precious. Otherwise, this person wouldn't pay this amount of money for it. So he's deceiving others. That's why it's forbidden in that case. It is more sinful if weakening the desire of the buyer or seller takes place after the contract has been conducted and during the period of choice of revoking and cancelling the sale. In Islam, and according to Imam Shafi'i the buyer and the seller might agree on a cooling off period. Cooling off period. Could be up to three days. That's fine. So it's like, you know how they say return policy? Now you are aware of return policy. They make like a return policy. Islamically, 
they can agree on a period of time, cooling off period up to three days. So the seller or the buyer might say, let us conduct this sale. However, we both preserve the right to revoke the sale up to three days. They can do that. Or the buyer might say, I preserve the right to return it if I choose to, not the seller. If they agree on that, then the buyer will have that right, not the seller. Or they might say, the seller will have the right, not the buyer. So they can make it either for both or for one of them. Now, during that period of time, he took the item, he paid money after the, let us say, the second day, someone went and he knew that this person has purchased this item from that person for this amount of money and they made the contract, but it's under the cooling off period. So he might go to him and say, don't buy it, I can give you a similar one for a cheaper price. That is more sinful. Because it's after the contract has been conducted and during the waiting period or cooling off period. There is something as well which is cooling off period but within the session. Same like if one were to be sitting with someone in one session and they made a deal. He sold him his phone for a price and they were still sitting, talking and the like, chatting. They stayed for hours in the same session, Islamically, because they did not leave that session, they did not depart, they have the right to revoke the sale. As long as they are in the same session, they can revoke the sale. Once they depart and they leave the session, they're no longer entitled to revoke the sale in that case. That's another case one needs to understand. So because the one who doesn't know about this, you know, after establishing the sale, he might come to him and say, while in the same session, I want to return it. And he says, no, that's uh, too late. No, Islamically, he has to accept. Because he has that right, as long as they are in the same session, to revoke the sale. Or if they want to leave, they want to leave the session, but they want to put a condition that they have the choice to revoke the sale up to three days, they can do that as well. They can do that as well. There was a person at the time of the Prophet who used to deal with selling and buying. However, people won't be happy about the purchase they make from that person. So they won't be happy for something. Then the Prophet ﷺ called him and said to him, when you sell, say no deceit, no trickery. However, you have the choice up to three days to revoke this sale. Then he started doing the sale and conducting the sale in that way. You don't have to, but I'm saying that's an option.
So you have the option to put that condition that I need to preserve the right to revoke the sale up to three days. You can make it for one day. Because he might say to you, no, for three days, that's too long. I don't want for three days. I give you one day. They agree on, on a period of time, maximum three days, and they have the right to revoke the sale. Or as long as they are in the same session, they have that right to preserve this right to revoke the sale. What about if they did not put that condition and they left the session, then the following day the buyer felt remorse about the sale, meaning he regretted and he wanted to return the item to the seller. The seller doesn't have, he's not obligated Islamically to return it. However, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the hadith that the one who accepts returning the item that the buyer purchased because he realized that he regretted the sale, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will relieve him from the stresses on the day of judgment. This is to show that in selling and buying, one should be lenient and easy. Lenient and easy. The Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, May Allah have mercy on the one who is easy to sell and easy to buy. And this means that one should not negotiate the price if there is no need. It's not recommended to negotiate the price and try to make a bargain by negotiating and insisting on doing so just to get the cheapest price. Especially when you know, for instance, you go to a poor country sometimes and you see some people like selling things on the streets and he might be selling like something for a dollar. And you want to get two for a dollar, for instance. You argue with them, you negotiate. And they are poor people, they are in need of money. This is not recommended. However, if for instance you're buying something, let us say, for Islamic causes, like they ask you to go and get something from the donations to the mosque, or to this Islamic school, here you would negotiate because you want to get the best price for them to save money because the money are used from the money of the Islamic causes. You might negotiate in that case. It is unlawful, haram, to buy food such as bread, dates and similar staple food. Staple food, what your body would take from a nutrition that he can withstand by only eating these things. So I'm not talking about, let us say, some people may get something that does not give that enough nutrition to the body to stand 
like, for instance, some sweet, let us say, bubble gum, for instance. It's not classified as staple food. We're talking about the staple food, such as bread, dates, wheat, and the like. It's haram to buy such food when it is expensive and needed in order to hoard it, save it, for later so they can sell it for a higher price. Some people, even these days, in some countries, when they find out that such food is getting more expensive, and let us say they won't have enough supply from other countries, so now it's needed, it's getting expensive, so they would buy all the food to hoard them, so after, let us say, a few weeks, it will be double the price. So they sell it for double or triple the price to make more money because it's food and it's needed. So it's not the clothes, for instance, or not something else. So it has to be like from the staple food. It is unlawful as well to bid a higher price for an article to deceive another. We talked about this, they call them fake bidders. So you need to keep in mind, some people may ask, you know, some websites where you can purchase products through auction. So you might be place something, an item to sell it, and that's what some people do. They call their friends and they say, put more bids on it. So the price could go higher. So keep that in mind, what, I, what you're doing in such a case, and think about the Islamic judgment. Also, it is unlawful, haram, to cheat or betray in measuring articles by volume, weight, arm length, or count. Or to lie, or to con the buyer, making him think that this product was such and such in the market. As some people like, may take advantage of foreigners, when they see some foreigners coming from different regions or different countries, and they want to buy tourists maybe, for instance, so they want to buy something, they go to a seller, and he might say, I can give it to you for 200. It was, he might tell him, it was 400. Its price is 400, and I'm going to give it to you for 200. He might con him, deceive him, making him think that the market value for it is 400, and that he's making a bargain by buying it for 200. That is haram as well. And basically to deceive or cheat or to hide uh, defects, as some people may do as well, that's forbidden. They might get something supposed to be made in Italy, but they buy it from China and they put a sticker on it, made in Italy. That's deceiving, that's haram. It is unlawful haram to lend money to the buyer with the condition to sell him cotton or other goods, for instance, at a higher price for the sake of the loan. That goes under riba. 
that we mentioned before. Because the Prophet وسلم, said, Kullu qardin jarra manfa'atan fahuwa riba. Kullu qard jarra manfa'atan fahuwa riba. So that's one case. Another case, let us say there is a tailor, for instance. He wants to make clothes and sell them, but he doesn't have money to buy fabric in the first place. So he might go to someone, let us say a tradesperson, and say, I can make clothing, nice clothing, but I don't have money now. Can you lend me this amount of money? Then that tradesperson will say, I'll lend you the money. But when you make the clothes, let us say, the item, the market value for it is uh, $10, I would say to him, uh, I buy him off you for $8. So why he is generating that benefit? Because of the debt. Or also, in some cases, he might be this person that takes usually, takes usually for uh, his uh, service to make a piece of clothing. Let us say he may take $10 for each. And he is in need of money. He goes again to someone or who usually buys from him and asks him to lend him money. He would say, I'll lend you money, but instead of giving you $10 per item, uh, maybe to weave it or to uh, make it, I'll give you $8. So why he reduced the fare for his servers due to the debt? So you learn the rule that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that any debt that generates a benefit either to both or to either one of them is classified as forbidden riba. That's the unlawful riba. Because Islamically lending money is legitimized in our religion not for the sake of exploiting the situation rather to help them to sympathize with them for that reason that's why no interest and the like should be involved in lending money to others it should be done for the sake of Allah that in your heart you are relieving the hardship of this person by helping him. But instead of giving him the money for nothing, you might say to him, yeah, I want to lend you the money instead of just giving the money as donation. So he can get his money back. He can, but the intention is to help him, to relieve him of this hardship. That is supposed to be the reason. The Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, whoever gives the borrower more time to pay his debt back or drop it, or even drop it for the sake of Allah, such a person will be in the shade of the arsh, when there is no shade on the day for judgment except for the shade of the arsh. Now the distance between us and these, the sun is thousands of miles. 
on the day for judgment, it will be only one mile. Very close. One of the scholars said, as if you can touch it by your hand. So it seems very close. And people will drown in their own sweat. And the sweat will take from their bodies based on their sins in this life. Some of them up to their ankles, some of them up to their shins, some of them up to their knees, some of them up to their waists, and some of them up to their shoulders, and some of them up to their mouths. And the Prophet ﷺ pointed to his mouth. See, as you have like a horse and you put something that the rain in his uh, mouth, so up to here. And the non-believers will drown in their own sweat, but they won't die. The righteous, the prophets, and the righteous, and the categories mentioned in the hadith will be in the shade of the arsh. So part of the arsh will be shading this area on the assembly uh, place on the day for judgment, and they will be in that shade. The one who drops the debt for the borrower when he sees that he is unable to pay it back or gives him more time so he can pay it back will be in the shade of the arsh when there is no shade except for the shade of the arsh. So the Prophet is teaching us that the reason why debt is legitimized in our religion is sympathy, not to exploit the situation. Also, the Prophet ﷺ told us about a merchant who used to give the goods to the shopkeepers, the sellers, and he would come back at a later time to collect the money. So he would sell them the merchandise, the product, for, and he wouldn't take the money straight away. He will give him time to sell them so they can pay him later at a certain date. And he told his workers, when you pass by them, if you see someone who is unable to pay the money back, give him more time. He said, give him more time and do not Put pressure on him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah forgave him. Allah forgave him. So there is a great reward in doing so. That's the reason why lending and borrowing money is legitimized in our religion. Many other dealings of the people of this time are also unlawful. Hence, the one who seeks the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and wants safety in the hereafter and in this life must learn what is lawful and what is unlawful about these matters. From whom? From a pious scholar the one who is sincere and caring for others. Some people these days 
would not be knowledgeable enough to give judgment. However, they lack of knowledge, but they feel shy to say, we don't know. So what they do, if they are asked about anything, they would give from their own opinion, not based on the rules of the religion. So you have to be careful. The source of the knowledge, trustworthy, sincere, knowledgeable person, who took the knowledge from a person of the same category, who took the knowledge from a person of the same category, and until you go back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Not from books, not from the internet, not from these uh, websites. Rather, the knowledge is taken as the way you are taking it now. You need to sit in the session and learn. If you don't understand anything, you will ask about it as well. Now, the last chapter I would like to mention is pertaining to the obligations of supporting the dependents. You need to know who are the dependents. The one who is solvent, meaning he has what would cover all his basic needs and something extra. The basic needs. Is obligated to support his poor parents, not only poor parents and the grandparents. Poor parents and grandparents. Even if they are able to earn their living. Once you become pubescent, you start... You become independent Islamically. Your father is no longer obligated to support you after you become pubescent. Now, this rule applies to men and women, according to Imam Shafi'i, according to others, the lady, the father will keep on uh, providing her with her basic needs until she gets married. So according to Imam al-Shafi'i if you are working and you are solvent, you have money to cover your basic needs and something extra, even if you're a father, and usually this doesn't happen these days, very rare, and your father says, okay, since you started working, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm going to sit in the house, I'm going to make volunteer work, and I want you to support me. You have to support him in that case. So you support your parents, if you are able to, and your grandparents. So the judgment applies to all of them. Parents and grandparents. Even if they are able to make their own living by working, but they choose not to, you have to support them. But if the father is solvent, meaning the father has money, inheritance, he's not poor, Islamically, and he asks you to pay him money, you don't have to. Or let us say you are supporting your father, you're giving him his basic needs, then he might say to you, look my son, I want you to change my car. I want a better one. You don't have to, because that's not from the basic needs. 
or he wants to buy another house. He sees you have a lot of money and he asks you, look, I want to buy me a house next to the beach. You don't have to. But as long as you provide him with adequate shelter, food and clothing, you are not sinful in that case. He is also obligated to support his descendants, children and grandchildren as well. So children and grandchildren as well, who are poor and cannot earn their living because they are young or they have some ailment, for instance, that prevents them from earning their own living. So one would support his children, as we mentioned, until they become pubescent. If they are under puberty, he would support them. Or sometimes he might have a child who is pubescent but insane. He has a kind of ailment that would prevent him from making his own living. Paralyzed. Then the father will keep on supporting his son even after puberty in that case. The husband is obligated to support his wife and to pay her the marriage payment, al-mahr. The mahr, the marriage payment, the dowry, the wife is entitled to it. And according to Imam Shafi'i, it might be paid up front, all of it. Or once they copulate the marriage, then she is entitled to all of it. According to Imam Abu Hanifa, the deferred mahr is paid upon the death of the husband or when he divorces her. So it is either to that period when he dies or when he divorces her, she will be entitled to that deferred marriage payment. So if they don't specify, then the dowry will be classified as Jew. And uh, a Jew, that means it's not deferred. And you know, these days they might divide it into two halves. They make one portion is Jew and portion is deferred. According to Imam Shafi'i, the marriage payment can be deferred upon the request and agreement to three years. Or otherwise, it's Jew. So once they copulate the marriage, then uh, the, that mahar is a Jew in that case. If one divorces his wife without a reason from her, when we say without a reason from her, we're not saying for instance, if she is tough with him, she doesn't respect him, and the like. No. Here we are referring to a case that is important to be known. If one divorces his wife because he's not happy with her attitude, she's still entitled to the mahr plus an extra amount they agree on, it's called al-mut'a in Islam. Al-mut'a. An extra amount, they agree on it, 
uh, he might give her on top of the marriage payment something they agree on. That's called al-muta. It doesn't reach the same quantity of the marriage payment, same value, no, it's way less. But they agree on something. That's when the divorce happens in that way. If he divorces his wife before commensurating the marriage, then she is not entitled for this addition. Rather, what she takes from uh, the dowry is half of them. It's like what we call it now, conducting the marriage contract. Then, after conducting the marriage contract, they were waiting for the wedding. So, before doing so, they disagreed and he divorced her. She is entitled to half of the marriage payment, the dowry. But no extra, which is called muta in that case. It's not paid. If he divorces her because of such reasons after consummating the marriage, as we mentioned, then she's entitled to the mahr plus the extra called al-mut'ah. Even if they argue, and some people say they argue, and she says to him, uh, divorce me. So she requests the divorce, and he says, you're divorced. She's entitled to the marriage payment. Because some men say, yeah, she asked for divorce. Yeah, you divorced her. She asked for it, and you divorced her. So she is entitled to the marriage payment plus the mut'ah in that case. They must, as husband and wife, observe the rights they owe to each other. Because Islam gives her rights, as gives the husband rights. If both give the rights to each other as Allah ordered, no one will be wrong. No one will be wrong. But these days, unfortunately, those who are not knowledgeable about these rules, what they do, they don't give the rights they owe to each other. And they start having problems. They start having problems. And those who want to get married, they need to learn about these rules and about the rights. So they make sure before they indulge in such a matter, they know what are the privileges and what are the rights they owe to others. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst those who know about the rules and apply them in our daily life. And Allah knows best. We say, La ilaha illallah.